Well, this month we're going to be talking about the power of change. We're going to be Ephesians chapter 4 today. We will get there, so just have your Bibles open to Ephesians. Because this morning we're just going to do a little bit of an overview this morning to get us into Ephesians. We'll talk about this idea for the month of October of living from the inside out. Living from the inside out. We want to know, we want to focus on this power of this life-changing gospel that all of us that are here this morning who know Jesus, we possess. This power should be evident, not only in the way that we worship. We learned last week that we're to come to church, worship joyfully, and hopefully we did that this morning. We're to leave here and to serve with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. We are to come to worship to know God. We're here today to know more about God. But what we know about Him, we worship Him because of who He is and what He has done for us. And then we're to leave here to thank God continuously for who He is and what He's done for us. And so hopefully we took that last week and now this coming month we're talking to So how do we live from the inside out? We have this power of the gospel, this power of Christ living in us. So we're focusing on, okay, so now... We learned how to worship, what our mindsets would be, how are we to prepare. So how are we to live out this gospel, this power, the power of change that should have changed all of our lives when we came to faith in Christ? So Ephesians is a great book which talks about change. So to, just to give you some idea, an overview, we're going to take a few moments and walk through an overview of Ephesians. The author, the town, the content. Before we do, just a quick illustration this morning I want to give you. 45, actually, percent of Americans every new year want to go on a New Year's resolution. How many of you have been there and done that? How many have been there and failed that? Yeah, my hand's still raised, so we all have done that. You know, it goes from the big thing is losing weight, exercising. The top 10 are people want to stop smoking, stop drinking, stop, get out of debt. That's what they're the top 10 big things that people try to overcome. Well, we get the books, we get the videos, we get our 12-step program, we, we, have, we have all the things in line, right? We've all been there and done that. You know how many percent of people fail each year at New, Year, New Year's resolutions? 97%. <laughs> so what good is a resolution, right? But it shows that that's the idea of us trying to achieve something to better ourselves. Usually by June, it's over, it's done. <laughs> But even more significant, there are scores of people in the Christian faith that say they know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, but their lifestyles don't reflect it. There is a claim that they're trying to do better, but they're not tapping into the power of Christ. It's not a wonder if someone says they're a Christian anymore and still goes out and parties and gets drunks and lives that lifestyle. But I'm a Christian. I know Jesus. Or talks like the world. Our language is no different. We cuss, we swear, we tell the jokes, we sit in the stories of the break room, and we, we're in the middle of the conversation. You're a Christian, right? We have individuals that, that are participating in promiscuous activity, all the while professing Christ. We have the divorce rate of the, of, of the Christian world catching up to the divorce rate of the world. We have the power of Christ in us. We're Christians. We do business like the world. Our integrity, our morals, our ethics are all in question. 
You do things the way the world does it, but I'm a Christian. Because many of us, I think, just want that ticket. I'm going to heaven. I love Jesus. Yeah, that's where I'm at. But there's so much more to the Christian life than just you relying on a decision you made when you were five, six years old. There needs to be a change. Think about it. When, when the moment you trusted Christ, was there a change? I trust there was. See, taking these patterns now to a personal level. There's some maybe that are here this morning or watching online. You are struggling with some things in your life. We all do. Weaknesses, habits, sinful patterns maybe. We remain unchanged. But what's missing? Why is that? This morning I want us to hear from God, from his word. And this, power, this idea to change, the power to change is living inside of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior. I want to give you some, some principles this morning for us to understand. Maybe we're struggling. We all, listen, we're all, we're all sinners saved by grace. We are going to struggle at times in our life. But I'm re referring to individuals and, and Christians who live habitually in a lifestyle of sin, who say they're a Christian, yet their life does not resemble it at all. So as we do each week, we're in a new book, and we're just going to do a quick overview this morning of the book of Ephesians. See, the, book, the theme for uh, the book of Ephesians is God is building a new family, a new family, a new value, new operation, new standards for us who are in Christ. Based on the truth, we need to listen to what needs to be done. We need to obey it because that's what God says. There's two particular outlines we can look at for the book of Ephesians. There's one outline, two points. Ephesians 1 through Ephesians chapter 5, or 3, is truth. Paul usually starts out his epistles with doctrine. Doctrine on truth, and then the last part of his, his epistle was application. So Ephesians could be 1 through 3, doctrine, truth. Then Ephesians 4 through 6 is duty. Okay, so you take what you know, the truth, and now, how do you live it? Don't, you, 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 like, you like books, uh, learn, learn how books, okay, they show you how to do it, they, they tell you how to do it, and they show you how to do it. You go on YouTube, I like that because it shows me every, every detail how to do things. Well, that's what this book is. Listen, this is, who, this is who we are, this is why we need to live this way, and here's how to live it. Another, another great, uh, I like this outline better, there's three particular points. Ephesians 1 through 3, uh, through, two, through 2 is wealth. The wealth of who we are in Christ, not physical wealth, but the wealth we have spiritually. Ephesians 4 through 5 is the walk. How are we to live this out? And lastly, which is very, very important, Ephesians chapter 6 is the reminder of the warfare that we are in. It's that passage of scripture that is the warrior's garb put on the whole armor of God. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Paul's telling us, listen, here's why we live what we, this is what Jesus has done for us, here's how we live it, and guess what? Here's what's coming. Be ready. Be prepared. Paul wants us to know the basis of this new family is based on the truth of who Jesus is. A little bit about Ephesus. Ephesus was the capital city of Asia Minor. The population was about a half a million people. Okay, Paul's writing this letter to a group of Christians who are living in this area. It was the wealth of the Roman Empire. Actually, today, 25% of that city has been excavated. Here's some pictures. A picture of a 25,000-seat amphitheater. 
Okay, this was a place to go. This was a wealth library they had. The best library of its time, 300,000 volume library. I never visited libraries, so that would not be an interest to me. I know kids today, a library, yes, we had to go and actually look up cards. You remember that? And, oh, I used to hate going to the library. Like, oh, wish I lived it. No, I'm just kidding. Paul, visited, Paul had three missionary journeys to Ephesus. The second missionary journey, Paul spent three years with this group of Christians, discipling them, bringing them up into the faith. In fact, if we look at Acts 20, 29, Paul tells the elders of Ephesus, he says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, and underline this, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He was warning him, listen, I know what Ephesus is like. I know what's going to happen. Once I leave here, you be ready for this. And what happened? Ah, if we look at the postcards Jesus sent to churches in Revelation 2 and 3, who was the first post postcard that Jesus wrote to? Ephesus. Let's read that verse. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had first. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come, come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Very, very interesting. Historian Eusebius said by the third century, Ephesus had lost its influence in the world. Not, we're not talking spiritual. We're just talking their influence in the world, their, their wealth. They lost it. They were no longer the city they used to be. The Apostle John, before he was put out to the Isle of Patmos, lived in Ephesus for some time. And guess what his job was? Guess what he ended up doing in the church there at Ephesus? Dealing with false teachers coming into the church. Diana was the deity worshipped, and Di Diana was the, the god of, of, of childbirth, of fertility, and they, they worshipped that idea and that ideology, and that was a, 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 a negative thing for the people there in Ephesus. This is what they thought. They worshipped this god. Actually, today, the, the temple of Artemis, which is translated Diana, is actually one of the seven wonders of the world today. If you look at that, Google that, it's one of the seven wonders to go visit the temple, Diana, in Ephesus. See, we can see the influence that surrounded this city. And Paul knew the importance of them understanding who they were in Christ. Paul, of course, is the author of this book. We can look, if you look at Ephesians chapter 6, 21 and 22, Tychicus was the individual who dictated, most likely, this book. So that you may also know that I am, I, how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the, bro, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him for you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your heart. So many times I know as you think about what, how you've learned to study the Bible and different characters, you always think Paul in this dungy jail, right? And that's in certain times he was. This particular time he was on house arrest. He was chained to an imperial guard. Can you imagine the conversations the imperial guard heard from the Apostle Paul? And actually, Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, and the whole imperial guard knew about the gospel. 
Who's guarding Paul today? Not me, man. I'm can you imagine the conversations he heard? I mean, if, you, if, if we can think about, if, if, if history serves us right, Tychicus was dictating this book. Here is Paul talking to Tychicus, and he's writing this with an imperial guard sitting there. If you know Ephesians 1 through 3, he is sharing the wealth of Christ. The imperial guard was hearing this. Every imperial guard. Just, just imagine the conversations he heard of church leaders that he was talking to, encouraging, talking about Jesus and the change in his life. Man, what a beautiful, beautiful picture we have. Which brings us to the content of Ephesians. Ephesians is known as the Grand Canyon of Scripture. Why? Because it shows the depths of God's love, His grace, and His mercy of who this God is and what He has done for us through Jesus. We can't help but not, when we read through the, the book of Ephesians 27 times, we see these two words, in Christ. Say that with me. In Christ. Okay, listen, the mass, the people at the mass, I could hear them better than that. The first service, can you say, in Christ. Very good. 27 times that is said in the book of Ephesians. See, God sees us as children in Christ. It's because of Christ we have the power, going back to the power of change, this power to live for him, to put away the, the, the worldly thoughts and narratives that are around us, much just like he was telling the church of Ephesus, listen, get away from the wealth I did, get away from the worship of Diana, this is your wealth. Paul also uses in this book, verbiages of finance. I, I love the Apostle Paul for this fact. It goes back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, I have become all things to all men that I may see some saved. I do this for the sake of the gospel and that I may share in its blessing. Paul connected and built bridges with everyone he came in contact with. Think about this. He's writing to Ephesus, a very wealthy city. What's he using? He's using verbiage that they can connect with. Isn't that awesome? And we do the same thing. We talk to someone, maybe who's athletic. We see that with Paul too. Paul used a lot of athletic verbiage. Didn't he? Can we talk to the Pharisees? He used law verbiage. So Paul here, I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14. Now I want to look at the NIV translation because I love some of the words that were used when referencing finance. Again, Ephesus was a, a city of wealth. It was the wealth of the Roman Empire at, the, Empire at that time. And you also were included, there's that phrase, in Christ. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel, your salvation. When you believed, you were, okay, underline these words, marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now look here, here's these financial words, listen to this. Who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory? Aren't they some heavy financial terms? Deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. This is who Christ is. He was trying to get across to a city that had wealth on their mind, that really the true wealth. And when you know Christ, this is what you have. Have you ever taken your bank card and stuck it in an ATM machine and it came, came you've seen the message that says, not, not enough funds or insufficient funds? Now, please don't admit that. Just, I'm just asking you that. It's a rhetorical question. If you did maybe once in your life because you never want that to happen again. That's one thing when Judy and I got married, I said, yeah, just, just be ready for that all the time when you put the bank card into our... No, that didn't happen. 
But do you know the same people, there's individuals that maybe live like paupers and misers and are frugal with their money, that have a plethora of wealth and maybe not under, really understand how much money they actually have? They're the individuals that live in the woods somewhere in a little shack, and then when they die, they give millions of dollars to donate it to maybe Faith Bible Church? No. Um, donate it to an organization in the community. Church, that's how we live. Think about it. We live our spiritual life not understanding the wealth that we have in Christ. We're paupers, and we don't need to be. We talk about this power of change. I mean, I, I can't do this. You have the power of Christ. You have the wealth to do this in Christ. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Understand, many people take Ephesians, some verses out of Ephesians out of context to support financial gain. He's talking to a group of people who are financial minded, understand, wants them to understand that their gain is only in Christ. So he talks about blessings and, and wealth. And, it's not financial. It is spiritual. What are some of those blessings? This is every spiritual blessing is the enrichment that God gives us needed in our spiritual life. What, what, are, what are some of these blessings? Well, look at verse, chapter 1, verse 4. He chose, he chose you. We are chosen. Do you like to be chosen for things? Do you remember? Yes, Kimmy said Yes. I can remember in middle uh, elementary school, I went to a Christian school, and there was a guy, probably a junior in high school, he was an athlete, played all the sports, was like the man, everyone wanted to be like, his name was Dave Everly, wanted to be like Dave Everly. If you're listening to Dave, hey Dave, shout out to you. He wanted to be like Dave, we wanted to be like Dave Everly. I can remember the coach said, listen, these elementary guys are coming to the gym, I want you to pick one of them on your team, and I want you just to show them things to do, and you, play, you run a game with them. And I'm standing, all of us are standing there, what team are we going to be on, man? And Dave Everly looks, I want Jason. No! I was chosen. See you guys. I'm going to the best team. God chose us. He chose us. He, verse 5, he predestined us. Because of his foreknowledge, being omniscient, he predestined us. Now, that is mind-blowing. That's, that's, that's my bit emoji. Yes, I thought I'd add that. Max, you know what that is? It's a bit emoji. Okay. I'd like, 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 like to see yours someday. No. It's mind-blowing. So, Sheila's here. And I, I'm, I'm thinking of Mike here, this illustration. Mike could get in a car. He's my mechanic. He works on all of your cars, probably most of the cars. And I know when, I, when we call Sheila, Palmer's car again. I know Mike's like, what did he do to that car again? But Mike can probably tell you from the time that ignition is, the keys putting ignition, how that car runs. But there's probably times he has to check on things. Okay, I'm not sure how this works. I am grateful for my vehicles. They take me to point A to point B. I have not a clue how the tires stay on. They hit a bump, a huge pothole, which Judy hits a lot, and the tires stay on. Blows my mind. I open the hood, I'm like, I don't know. Guess what? I'm grateful it takes me to point A to point B. See, with the idea of predestination and foreknowledge, I can't explain it. But Scripture tells us, and we rest in the fact that God is God and we are not. We rest in the fact that we sit back and say, thank you, God, for choosing me. 
I don't know how it works, but I trust you. I'm not going to argue about it. Nope, I, 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 I trust you. I love what Paul says to the Christians in Romans 11, 33-36, and this sums it up. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable. That Greek word there, inscrutable, means how understandable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or even has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? I love 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Who knows the mind of the Lord? No one. But are you glad that he predestined you and called you to be his chosen son and daughter? Yeah, that should excite us. Another word, adopted. Some of us maybe ourselves have been adopted or we know individuals. Maybe we have children or, or we have families that are adopted. We understand what adoption means. That you gain rights and you gain the, the, the privilege of being part of that family. You inherit that name now. When God adopted us into his family, we have all the rights as his children. And lastly, we talked about it last week, he redeemed us. Do you know the time that Paul wrote this letter? Over half the entire Roman Empire was under some type of slavery. So when they under, so when you understand, when you understand that when they understood the word redeemed, they, it, it, it clicked with them. They understood oh, redemption. What's that mean? Buying back from the slave market is sin. And look at a great verse that shows that transaction. Look at Second Corinthians five twenty one. Again, using the NIV here for this particular verse. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made who? Jesus sin. The perfect son of God, the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice. God made him to be sin. God never sinned, put sin upon him so that what? What's the transaction? We can be the righteousness of God. There's the redemption. Once he paid the price, we're free in Christ. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer, we're no longer, it's, it's, it's captive. So understand, when we read Ephesians, the wealth that we have in Christ. And that wealth that we understand, we need to understand, that reflects on how we live. And that change of Jesus Christ, taking our, our sin, is the power in which we live. So let's go to our text this morning, Ephesians chapter 4. Just a, that was a quick run through and just giving an idea of where Paul's going, what Paul's doing, who, who his audience is, what's happening in the city around. So it kind of gives us an idea of Ephesians. Verse 1, chapter 4. Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, Paul there says, yep, I'm in prison, I'm, I'm enslaved right now, urge to you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I want you to underline that phrase because that right there is the first line of application that Paul wants us to do, knowing the wealth we have in Christ. He says, listen, walk in the matter worthy of the calling of which you have been called. There is, hey, listen, you live the way you need to live because of Christ. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to you, to, to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. 
for, of all, over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So you see, to every Christian, to every believer who knows Jesus, he gives us the capacity. He enables us with the supernatural power of Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us, to pass grace to others. To live in the light of having Christ in us. He works in you. He, we are like the conduit of his goodness in the lives of others. How we live our life is a reflection of the power of Christ in us. Our first principle this morning is this. Every Christian is changed. Every Christian, you say, okay, no, duh, Pastor Jason. Every Christian is changed, so we need to live like it. Every Christian is changed. You may, yeah, I, I agree with that. Are we living it? Do we live differently? See, he rewires our insides so that you are like a channel that he works through. Passing grace to each other, loving each other, sharing Jesus with the world, being testimonies, being lights, being examples, strengthening, encouraging, giving wisdom. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he reworks your inner self that you just act differently. You are different. I don't know if any of you have trusted Christ and the moment you trust Christ, you went to work and they're like, man, there's just something, something's different about you. You don't talk the same. You seem to be joyful. Any, did that happen to anybody? It, we're, we're, there was a difference when you came to Christ. What did he tell us in Ephesians chapter 2? You were dead in your sin. That's pretty encouraging. Okay, I'm dead in my sin. But what's he say then? You are alive in Christ now. You are alive because of Christ. So we think of that verse there in verse 7. That grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And we're going to get to that as we read down through the eight, verses 8 through 10. of what, I, How we take that verse and what it means for us today. See, Jesus acted out his own generosity. Exactly fitting the gift of grace. All of us. But the gift of grace because of Jesus. In other words, our serving grace. How we live our life. How we serve one another. It's not a strain on us. It's not like, <sighs> why? Because the power of Christ does not do that. We serve because of him, because of what he has done. See, there, it is again in scripture, there's this idea, once you become a believer, once you're a follower of Christ, there's a change. Does a caterpillar always turn into a butterfly? Does it? Yes. It doesn't get in its cocoon and say, you know what, this just doesn't fit right. I need to get out. No, it's made to change. What does it say in 2 Corinthians 5.17? If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. He is a new creation. You see Ephesians 4, we go to 11 and 12, there's the verses of spiritual gifts, and this is part of those gifts, I believe he was talking about, not just the gift of salvation, but as we'll talk, Jesus gave the gifts to the church for the purpose of what? Talking about Jesus, living for Jesus, that's the purpose of the gifts for the church, not for our own personal gain, it's for God. So when you look at the picture of the butterfly, it's changed from the inside out. We as Christians are the same way. You are meant to fly. Jesus has equipped us through the Holy Spirit to fly. Not literally, figuratively. So anytime we hear individuals, Christians, say this, things like this. I can't help them that way. 
I've tried. It just doesn't work for me. We have a problem, theologically. Either just, you're just disconnected or you're confused and just need some discipleship, need to kind of, hey, let, let's walk through this. Or, worst case scenario, you never possessed Jesus. You never came to the saving faith of Jesus Christ. Because when you have that saving faith of Jesus Christ, there is a difference. There is a change. And we, yes, we, we fail, we fall, we sin. I, yes, I'm there with you. But to live in a habitual lifestyle of sin and walking away from God, there's a problem. And it's not my words. It's God's words. There must be a change in our life. Not only does every Christian change, but the principle number two is this. Our change is secured by Jesus. Our change is secured by Jesus. Let's read verses 8 through 10. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. I circle that, underline that, that's coming back to that. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended in the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. I want us to get this picture here. Okay, we're thinking of Jesus. Jesus is the victor. He defeated sin. So that's, that's where we're at right now. We read 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin. That is the victory cry right there. Him shedding his blood on the cross for our sin. What did he say on the cross? It is finished. So for us to understand this verse, I need us to think of military. Psalm 68 is referenced here when it says, when he, as, when he ascended on high, he led the captives, he gave gifts to people. Now understand King David wrote that particular psalm. He was a king. He was a military strategist. He was a warrior. So if you want to ask, ask anything to a guy about war, about how to fight, how it worked, David was the guy. And so during this time in the world's history, what would happen when a king would defeat a, another city, another town? There would be this processional. There would be this parade that would come through the hometown. And leading it off was the king. And everyone's cheer, yeah, here comes the king. He just defeated the enemy. And behind him are his warriors arrayed in their, in their armor and their, their swords and their spears. And then following the soldiers were the captives, the individuals who were prisoners of war that were rescued to come back home. And everyone's cheering, oh, they got them, we won, we're the victors. And then behind the captives was the enemy. The king defeated, chained with all the enemies, walking through town, being jeered, being humiliated. And to bring up the caboose of that parade was all the spoils of war that the king had acquired. Livestock, gold, silver, everything, everything you can imagine. And what happened when the procession would come to the king and they, the, the end would come and they would all be there around the king, the king would take the gifts, he would take the spoils of war and give something small to each individual in the city as what? As a reminder of the victorious king. I need you to get that in, in, in picture here of what Paul is saying here about Jesus. So you have that idea? He give, the king gave spoils of war to the people in town to be a reminder of what that king did and what victory he had. So now, we see Jesus hanging on a cross. Sin, 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 past, present, and future upon him. 
the battle is on. He's hanging between two thieves. He's beat beyond recognition. As we said, it is finished. And he dies. But his spirit, as it says there, we read here, it, it, it go, he ascended. If he ascended, that means he descended to the lower regions of the earth. Look what Colossians 2.15 says about this victory. He disarmed. That Greek word there means to be stripped, to be a spectacle of. He stripped the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame. Is this, this is spiritual. This is the demonic. This is the, this is the devil. He's put to shame. He's triumphed. He captured the enemy over them in him. King Jesus, his processional. After he died, it is believed, and theologians believe, that Jesus descended to the, to the under parts of the world, which is called Sheol. Okay? His spirit, he died, his body was put in the His spirit went to Sheol. Now, we need to understand here, there's a couple terms that we kind of may get switched around here in our theology as Christians. So let me just go through a couple words of, of hell or Hades and understand where they are, who's, who, what, what, who's intended to go there so we understand. So Sheol is the Hebrew word for place of the dead. That's where individuals in the Old Testament went to Sheol. Now we know in Luke chapter 16, Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of what Sheol looks like. It's very, very vivid. There's two chambers. There is the place of blessing. There's a place of rest. There's a place of joy. That's where individuals like King David would went. That's where Moses, that's where those individuals, they would be in the part of the paradise, Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom. Then Luke 16 tells there's this chasm that no one could cross. Then on this side is Hades. The place of the dead, the place for the wicked, the unrighteous. That is the holding cell for the wicked. We also hear a term, Revelation 20, is the term lake of fire. Lake of fire is future. Lake of fire is future. There's no one in the lake of fire right now. We don't know where the lake of fire is. Not important. We just don't want to be there. Okay? And so... Revelation 20 tells us that Hades and death are thrown in the lake of fire. That is prepared for Satan and the false prophet. And Revelation 20 tells us also that for those that are not found written in the book of life will be cast in the lake of fire. That's future. So right now, when someone dies and does not know Jesus, they will go to what they call Hades or hell, the place of the dead, until the great white throne judgment. So in the Old Testament, there was this big chamber, the good side, the bad side, a chasm between. And Jesus says he ascended to the lower parts of the earth, meaning Sheol, to the Abraham side. Now think of, think of Psalm 68. He descended, he ascended with his captives. What did he do? And it says that if you, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, For God, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. There's another part of Hades which is called the abyss or Titoris, which is the place that only beings that are there right now are the fallen angels from Genesis chapter 6. 
They were the individuals. They were the beings that came to earth and mixed with humanity, which caused the sin in the world. And that's when God says, I'm done, sent a flood, and we know the rest of the story. So Tartarus is that place. Also, in Luke chapter 8, Tartarus is the place where the abyss is the place. Remember when, demon, when, when Jesus cast the demon out of, 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 of the man, of legion? And what, what did the demon say? Don't send us to the place. Don't send us to the abyss. Why? Because that was the place where the other fallen angels were. And of course we know the story. He sent them into the pigs and they ran off the cliff. So Jesus here descended to the lower regions of the earth, to Abraham, to paradise. What did he tell the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in where? In paradise. Abraham's bosom. Abraham's side. When you look at Psalm 68, Jesus went to the lower regions, declaring victory to the spirits, the fallen beings of the angels, the, the demonic beings. I won. I'm taking death. I've defeated death. I'm taking the captives with me, and we're going to be with God. Because now when you die and you don't know Jesus, you will still go in that holding cell. But you die now with Jesus, guess what? You're ascended on high with Christ, with God. So Jesus conquered the death, conquered sin, and he took the cap, the Old Testament saints, and says, here's, here's my processional. Here is my processional. I am king. I conquered death. I conquered sin. And church, understand that is huge. Because by him signifying that, we have victory over sin in Christ. We have the power of change in Christ. I love what Ephesians 3.20 says. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to, circle that word, power at work within us. It's nothing to do with us. It's Christ's power. So to close this morning, I want to ask a few questions. Do we realize the wealth we have in Christ? Do we understand that wealth brings us power to defeat the sin struggles in our life by relying on Christ? Do you realize this wealth should drive us to live for him and do what he wants us to do and to submit to him? Church, we know the power of change is only produced by what Christ has done. We need to rely on that power. Church, we cannot be an advertisement to the world of being a Christian when they know our life is jacked up. And they say, yep, oh, he's, he's a Christian, but his life is just messed up. You're out partying. You're out doing this. Your marriage is a mess. And you're a, and you're, you're, you're a Christian? And, you're, and you want me to come to Christ? And, hey, I have my stuff together. I have a good job. My wife and family are great. I have everything. Why, why do I want that? Do you, do you understand the advertisement that we are being as Christians when we say the power of Christ can't fix our problems? Church, it's real. My good friend is a pastor of the Cumberland County Community Church, Sam Rempel. He is now a certified fitness instructor. Now, I, 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 Sam was a very kind of, he's a tall guy, but he was also getting pretty large this way. He lost 50 pounds. And while I, we, walk, we talk to each other through that journey and walk through different things. You know what? I would go to Sam if I was interested in being a fitness instructor, getting in shape. Why? Because I've seen the transformation of Sam Rempel. 
through, through a year and see where he's at now. I want that change. I want that. I'm not going to listen to some 400-pound guy eating Twinkies over here tell me how to begin shape. Just not going to do it. And you wouldn't either. But in the Christian life, what's, what's, what's the difference? Here we are. We know Jesus. We have the power of Christ. And we brag. We, oh, yeah, I go to faith. Bible, blah, 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 And your life's messed up. You're living this life of habitual sin. And you're, you're, you're like that 400-pound guy eating Twinkies try, 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 trying to tell someone to lose weight. Christians, we have the power of Christ in us. Make it work. And it's only, in those two words, in Christ. We can't do it on our own. Only in Christ. But the problem is we don't submit to Christ. We want to do what we want to do. And I feel this way. Here's your choice. You're either in Christ or you're not. Just, it's, it's as simple as that. I'm not a very smart guy. It's easy. In God, in you. Your choice. Church, we need to understand the wealth we have in Christ. We understand the victory that Jesus made when he went to, this, went to Sheol and declared victory. I have conquered sin and death forever. And as he ascended, he gave gifts to people. He, I believe he gave, that represents giving gifts to the church for us to what? To proclaim this gospel. And it, what, what did Jesus tell Peter in Matthew 16? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Isn't that awesome? We are on the victor side. We're on the victor side. Yes, because we have Christ, and it's only in him. Let's live that way. Let's live that we have the power of Christ, and we can do anything with him at our side. Yes, there's struggles. Yes, we have to walk through things. But in Christ, and we submit to him, God will walk us through, and he will give us the victory. All right, church? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the time we have together. Just pray, Father, you would be with us. Help us as we live in this power. Lord, allow this power to just enable us to do what you want us to do in our life. We love you. Give us a great day in your precious name. Amen. Sing the first verse of chorus, we'll come to altar.